Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, sports fans. Coach Nick here. And before we get to the interview, I just wanted to reach out and make sure you knew how valuable ratings and reviews on iTunes are to the success of this pod. So if you enjoy these, head over there and let me know. I'd really appreciate it. And thanks for being in the conversation. Who won the Paul George for Victor Oladipo trade? Is Andre Robertson really the key to OKC's defense? Which teams should blow it up and start over? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. I am pleased to bring on friend of the breakdown, Danny LaRue, who is a co-host of the Dunked On Basketball Podcast with Nate Duncan. Uh, he's also part of the Twitter NBA show, as you might see, and uh, Real GM Radio Podcast as well. So, Danny, uh, among other things I didn't list that you do, thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me on. Uh, as always, uh, it should be a, a really fast-paced, interesting show where we're going to talk a lot about uh, the ins and outs of what's going on in the NBA, um, unless there's anything else you want to talk about that's going on in your life that I could help you with. I think we could focus on the NBA, at least for now. Okay. Well, we can save that for the uh, bonus uh, listening at the end. So, uh, here's what I thought we could start, start off with. I'm prepared today. I actually i am prepared. I have a rundown. Let's do it. Um, here's my question for you. Who won... The Paul George for Victor Oladipo trade. Well, I will definitely say that though I am not somebody who likes thinking of trades and winners and losers, I like thinking of them as separate. It is so much better for Indiana than I thought it would be. And Victor Oladipo is having an absolutely wonderful year, showing more. And and something that I've brought up a couple times when people have talked about this is they're like, oh, you know, some people said Russell Westbrook was holding Victor Oladipo back. Victor Oladipo has been way better this year. It isn't just that he's getting more usage or he's having an opportunity to shine. He has been a better basketball player this season. Uh, okay. I mean, it's interesting because we have to figure out how, which egg and which chicken we're talking about here because, right, like, did he have the skills to shoot 40% from three? Like, was that going to happen before and then for some reason it's now happening? Did he have the ball handling skills? Did he, could he do all this stuff? Is the mindset there? Uh, it's a really interesting conundrum, but I will, I can, everyone can acknowledge that he certainly is a different player. Like there's just something about him, the way he plays, his aggression, uh, is a lot different. Now, I suppose we can give Russ credit for that, right? Did he like, you know, observe how Russ trained and how he played and how aggressive he was and then just sort of take some of that through uh, Vulcan mind meld? It's possible. I mean, for me, the reason why we can be more sure with Oladipo is because he played for a couple of years before Russell Westbrook. And in, he is not the player in Indiana that he was in Orlando. And there, he they needed him to be more active, to be the high-usage guy. And he was, you know, in certain elements, a little bit closer to what he's doing in Indiana. But as you said, the three-point shooting is a big element. And something else that I think Indiana does deserve credit for 
in terms of this is they play with so much shooting that I think it has made it easier for Oladipo. He's shooting a much better percentage at the rim this year. And when there is less help defense, and also when you have the ball in your hands as a driver a little bit more, you can be more effective there. And I think that is one one element that they've done. And also, you know, Victor Oladipo, 25 years old, guys get a lot better. That's what you want. And something that I've said for years is, you know, as as talented as any player is when they come into the league, you always have to get better. And when you look at the best players in the league at any given time, it's the players who not only came in with immense national ta- natural talent, but worked incredibly hard to get better. I mean, I've covered Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson their entire careers. I've seen it with those guys, but LeBron, Kobe, whoever, that's what you do. And I think Oladipo has gotten a lot better too. And some of it is probably three-point shooting luck as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I had Michael Lancaster on, who was one of his trainers uh, this past summer, and he actually was very specific on things they worked with, which made sense to me, Some like being able to decelerate better, uh, be able to fix a couple things in his mechanics with his rhythm of his jump shot, which, you know, clearly leads to that. I, I guess here's the other question. Um, he went from 21.4 usage rate, and, you know, even in Orlando, it was, you know, 24, 25, and now it's a little over 30 so the argument could very well be that, well, he's simply just getting you know a lot more possessions used, and that's why his numbers are bumped up. But do you agree, and have we seen this across the board, when NBA players just simply get more usage, they improve their stats like this? It does depend, but not usually. I mean, the double with him that's interesting is it's the huge uptick in usage, but his efficiency, his true shooting percentage, and of course his three-point shooting have also gone up, and that doesn't usually happen. I mean, he had a pretty stable baseline of a true shooting around 52, 53% for his Orlando years, his OKC years, and then now he's over 60. So that's a fundamental difference. And to do that with the big spike in usage is a little bit different. And I think that, you know, it, it's it's a good sign. It, it's something that you can move forward with. And especially now that we're, you know, he missed a couple of games, so we're at a little bit below 40 for him as a sample. But that's we're getting closer to where you say, okay, there's really something to this. Right. And now the other part of this thing is that it's, it's one of the best surprise stories of the year in that Indiana is, you know, firmly, it, they will make the playoffs. I mean, barring some strange catastrophe, uh, they're sixth right now, a game behind the Wizards, and then, uh, let's see here, a game and a half behind the Heat, another very surprising storyline. And um, I have to imagine that that's going to influence certain people when they're talking about Oladipo um, and, and, you know, the all-star game. So what do you think about that? Because there's an interesting uh, dilemma here between voters, because if you're talking about shooting guard in the all-star game, you, you know, Oladipo, you would think would merit, you know, perhaps starting, but then we have DeRozan with Toronto. Uh, what are your thoughts on the comparison between those two and who should, who should on merit start in the all-star game? The all-star game is always a challenge because you want to reward, you want to incentivize the guys who are doing well, but then you also, it's the all-star game. And so you have that. So I would say at the moment, it's really, really tough. It kind of depends on what you trust because both guys are incredibly important to their team's success and both teams are succeeding. The Raptors have better talent to me than the Pacers do, but we saw what the Pacers were like when Oladipo was out. They got just trucked in a couple games. And so that makes you think, oh, Victor Oladipo is important because he is. And so I would say on the season, 
it's pretty close to a wash. These guys actually, at the moment we're recording this, have identical usage rates, which I, I didn't expect when we saw it. They're both at 30.3, which is awfully impressive. And they succeed in different ways. But the reason why I would go with DeRozan, basically Ty goes to the guy who is more established. Because with DeRozan, we know what he is. We know what he's done. And while this is better, this is to me the best DeRozan season we have seen, it is closer to it. And he is more established, so he gets the spot. But I like if if we're voting on All NBA right now or something like that that didn't incorporate prior performance, I would probably say Oladipo has been slightly better. But you're you're splitting hairs. These guys have both been fabulous. Well, you know this prior performance thing kind of reminds me of you know when you're watching TV and there's like a, a commercial comes on and you hear Donald Sutherland's voice. This is like the last ten years, and I would always say to myself, I mean, he just took money. Uh, out of some really good voiceover actors' pockets. You know, he's done so many of those. Can't we just get somebody else to do the voiceover for that one commercial? You know, I, maybe he needs, like, his SAG, uh, you know, uh, health insurance for that year. But whatever. And it's just like, it kind of frustrates me. And if I were Oladipo, I would be frustrated to all, you know, nth degree because, you know, why should the notion of, you know, it's just not fair to him that, like, so DeRozan has been good for a few more years. He's three years older. Why does that get him above him for, the, for like, an all-star nod? Fairness isn't everything sometimes with this. And, and the all-star, I mean, when you have something that has a, a, a big basis as fan voting, it's not always going to be merit-based. I mean, it's gotten better, and I'm, I'm happy about that. The other really nice thing is that, A, both these guys are going to make the team, so that isn't a big element. And B, it's not used for a lot of financial stuff anymore, especially starting. That used to be for the designated veteran con- or for designated rookie contracts. Designated veteran contracts didn't exist then, and now it's not. So okay. it, it's a emotional thing. I'm sure Victor Oladipo would love to be starting the All-Star game, but it doesn't affect a lot of these concrete elements that used to matter. So I would say – Yes, I, I, I would sympathize with Oladipo, and for me, using that as a tiebreaker, there is an element of unfairness to it. But you fall back on that because you want to reward consistency. You want to reward success, and, and both these guys are making the team. I would feel a lot worse for him if it was making versus missing rather than starter versus second strength. Fair enough. And by the way, just so, just so we're clear here, you know, Oladipo is leading in virtually every statistical category. Uh, so that's the thing. And to top of that off, I would argue he's a better defender. He's certainly a more productive defender, but I think he's a better defender too. Now, you know, and he's doing as much work as, as Rosen on the offensive end. So, uh, you know, there's another argument there where it's like, you know, not only is he leading everything across the board except for assists, but he's, he's actually a better on the other side of the ball too. Well, and, so. Nick, and Nick, that's an interesting question for you is I would say Oladipo has been slightly better, mostly because DeRozan is pretty bad defensively, but DeRozan is a part of a better defense than Indiana. I mean, Indiana has they're having a wonderful year, but Toronto's been better. So for you, from a from a coaching standpoint, <laughs> if neither guy is very good, would you rather have somebody who is a part of something better? Do do you give DeRozan credit for that, or is that just hey, he has way better guys around him? Are you trying to get me to say that Steph Curry is an elite defender? Is that what this is really about? I'm trying to get you to go wherever you want to go, my friend. <laughs> well, where I want to go is to talk about cooking fantastic home-cooked meals by the leading meal kit delivery service in the U.S., Blue Apron. When you cook with Blue Apron, you're not just having burgers for dinner. You're making short rib burgers with a hoppy cheddar sauce on a pretzel bun. 
You're preparing seared steaks and thyme pan sauce with mashed potatoes, green beans, and crispy shallots all in under 45 minutes and without a trip to the grocery store. I just made hoisin glazed pork chops in a live show on Periscope and hundreds of people joined me to see how easy it is to follow Blue Apron's recipes to make delicious food that impressed my whole family. For eight weeks, Blue Apron is teaming with Whole30 to bring you delicious recipes. Their menus will feature two Whole30 approved recipes each week, like seared steaks and warm lemon salsa verde with roasted broccoli and sweet potato. Blue Apron is treating B-Ball Breakdown listeners to 30 bucks off your first order if you visit blueapron.com slash coachnick. So check out this week's menu and get your 30 bucks off with free shipping at blueapron.com slash coachnick. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Well, um, and we talked about that in the past where we've had like, you know, guys like David Lee be part of a number one defense, right? And so like, well, how do we rate that? Because his defensive numbers end up looking a lot better than they probably should. Uh, I don't know. I mean, my eye test tells me that certainly uh, Oladipo um, is better and more effective on that end either anyway. Um, and then the real question is, does it, does it, does it matter for the All-Star game anyway? Like, does, do we even count defense at this point for that? I mean, heck, do we even count defense for anything? Because look at some of the guys that get all the kudos, get all the awards, uh, and get all the attention. Um you know, it used to be that you had to play both ends, you know, back in the 80s, in theory, like they played both ends, even though I know there's arguments for whatever the defensive strategy was, wasn't as robust then. But uh, now it kind of feels like without hashing this whole other argument, but doesn't it feel a little bit like, you know, we're, we're less concerned about defense these days? To a point, but it's also that especially this year, there haven't really been many good two-way player cases for, like, let's say MVP. You know, there, Kawhi Leonard isn't playing enough games. Like, he's already out of the MVP race, even if he was the best player in the league the rest of the year. I unless he was at some sort of superhuman level, he wouldn't do it. And so, I, and LeBron is now in chill mode during the regular season most of the time defensively. So it, it is different. But you know, there are, there are still guys, you know, Joel Embiid, I think, should be celebrated for the defense that he's played. Draymond, when he's on, has been fabulous this year. KD is getting that buzz for, which is so surprising because he's such a spectacular offensive player, but he has been better defensively this year. Mm -hmm. And somebody, this could be a tie-in for where we were going to go originally, Paul George has been wonderful defensively this year. And I think it might be hard for some people because, especially he started the year so bad offensively, but... He's having a different season this season, but I think that he has been an important part of Oklahoma City's success. I agree. He is sort of that catch-all where he can kind of sort of fill in whatever holes they need. Um, now, they've suffered. I kind of want to grab the uh, numbers since uh, Robertson's been out, but I know that their defense has really kind of uh, plummeted from like number one or number two to somewhere in the, in the middle. Um, and that's with Paul George doing what he's doing. So, is this really a Robertson thing? Is he is he really the glue that binds their defense to an elite level? I think what it's about more is the importance of replacements. I mean, Robertson has been fabulous. I do not want to discount that. But if they had somebody who was like a 75% Robertson, this falloff wouldn't have happened. It's that they replaced him with a rookie who is not really there yet. Terrence Ferguson, I like his potential. I am a believer in what Terrence Ferguson can be in the NBA. He is a skinny teenager who is a jump shooter who is not yet and who has not yet making his jump shots. Like that is a, a much bigger difference 
than if they had somebody who was more more put together or who had a similar skill set. So certainly they've missed Robertson a lot. I think if they were missing George instead of Robertson, the margin would be similar. And that's also those two guys both being so great is why I don't think either one of them can win Defensive Player of the Year because you don't you don't know how to attribute the credit. And this actually ties in with I don't know if you watched that game, but when OKC played Indiana, Paul George shut Victor Oladipo down. The worst game that I can remember Victor having this year was when Paul George guarded him. But then in other games, like when they played Houston, Robertson is the guy who shut down to a point, James Harden. So having those two guys together is incredibly important, especially because they don't have somebody else. For sure. And just to get the numbers accurate, over the last eight games that Robertson's been out, they've only won four of them, which actually would have been a little bit of a, you know, a, a, a good thing for them earlier in the year and then until they went on to that big run. Um, and they are ranked in the last – I hit the wrong button, but it's – oh, I'm sorry, I did. The last eight games, it is their 13th in defensive rating in that eight-game span, uh, having gone from – if it wasn't one, it was two uh, in defensive rating. So I like that idea. You're right. You kind of need, I suppose, as an elite uh, team to be a top something, five, six, seven team, you need two defenders, right? You need two of those kind of guys, it seems like. And probably somebody at the rim, and they have that in Steven Adams, another underappreciated defender in certain ways, because he, you know, he does a good job of shutting down some actions. He is not the all-around kind of defensive player, rim protector that Joel Embiid or some of those other guys are, but he's very good, and he does what they need. And so, yeah, OKC, I mean, think about also the fact that they've been able to be this good of a defense with Carmelo as having a awful defensive year. Just he's been he's been pretty atrocious most of the season, and Russell Westbrook is exceedingly inconsistent the guy who was the I can't remember if it was Pac-10 or Pac-12 at that time defensive player of the year partially due to his offensive role he's just not a great defender he gambles too much he doesn't contest a million shots he focuses a little bit too much on the defensive boards though the defensive rebounds he grabs provides value and so the (laughs) fact that they can use those other three guys to make a defense as strong as they've been. You know, like you think about the differences in personnel and scheme between what they do and what Boston does. And they're able to use guys that are a little bit less capable. And they also play OKC. They've been able to make it work. They play a second unit without a traditional center. They've been using Patrick Patterson at center almost the entire year. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and they do old school kind of stuff. They will like, you know, hedge high on pick and rolls or try and blast a little bit. But it is a testament to, to uh, Adams and how mobile he is, that he can cover ground and he he gives out on that end a lot more than uh, other players do who might be quicker or stronger or faster than him. Uh, and I, I don't, you know, Stephen Adams doesn't get enough props. It was funny because I get so much hate um, for my analysis on the Thunder, when in reality, I, pray, I, I can't say anything bad about Steven Adams, and I'm always trying to say good things about him. Paul George is the same way. Robertson to some degree, although guys like Robertson frustrate me because I feel like they, they could get better offensively, and they should be getting better than they are over in the offseason and working on their ball handling and even the shooting stuff. It just frustrates me, like Tony Allen's of the world. Um, you know, what are they doing in the offseason that's not showing improvement? And if it's not, then they need to find a better trainer. Um, but either way, yeah, it, it's an interesting discussion about that because, you know, as we get back to that initial discussion about, uh, you know, OKC versus Indiana, um, now it's funny. I think before the last 10 games, we, we might have said it's clear-cut Indiana wins that, even though I know you don't want to be binary about it, just because, you know, the Thunder weren't even in the playoffs. Well, maybe 12 games ago, whatever that was. 
And Indiana was firmly in the playoffs, and now they're they're primed to have you know seven eight years of an all star player. And Oklahoma City, I mean, we don't know what Paul George is going <laughs> to do, but they only committed to one year of of a of an all star player, and I think Paul George is is absolutely there. So if we're going to assess this using the elements of hindsight and and what we have right now, I would say it's likely that that Indiana ends up getting the better end of this. And the other guy that we should make sure that we give credit to is Sabonis. Sabonis last year was probably the worst start regular starter in the NBA. And again, young big man playing out of position, not yeah. that big a surprise. But he has been just so much better this year, and he fits in well with Indiana. And you talked about, you know, kind of how this has changed over the last 10 games. One of the other elements is this is the second time this season – when Sabonis has started at center because Miles Turner has been out this time, it's an elbow issue before it was when he suffered a concussion. And Indiana has looked good with him in that spot. They don't rely on their center in the same way defensively. And I think he's done a fabulous job. And so I still think they're better when they have Miles Turner out there. But the fact that he can be a reasonable facsimile and make their offense hum and everything like that, he has been so much better this year than he was last year. Yeah, and and I agree, and I feel like you know he was a multi-year college player who came in relatively polished, even though he's still uh, very left-hand dominant. But I I kind of felt like yeah, he just felt out of place, and there's just the whole situation in OKC with the way his role, the way he had to play. Uh, like he, there's a good example of a guy who had he started out being drafted by Indiana, I think he probably would have been have a similar rookie year. He would have had you know you know ten points and eight rebounds a game. I think he could have done that. And so here we're seeing that he doesn't take any threes, which is nice. He's around the basket a lot more he's able to facilitate from the, the post a little bit too so it's a great story for him now and then the question is is what is his ceiling does he progress as uh, his first opportunity to get a lot of minutes you know it's 12 and 8 uh with a couple assists a game does what does that translate to later on down the line i mean is he can he get to 20 points a game i don't think he can get all the way to 20 but i also don't think you necessarily want him to you want him to be more of a facilitator moving the ball getting other guys involved in Indiana's approach, full credit to Nate McMillan for this team looking so different than so many other Nate McMillan teams, is having a lot of other guys shoot. I mean, especially if he's playing with Victor Oladipo. And also remember what's funny, as you said, and you were correct, that he was in college for a couple of years. He still hasn't turned 22 yet. He'll turn 22, I think it's during the playoffs this year. Well, I don't think Indiana's still going to be playing when he turns 22, but that's still uh, because it's in May. Sure. But that's a wonderful season for him. I mean, to be to be at that point at, in age 21, and so I don't think he becomes a 20-point-a-game scorer, but if he becomes your second or third big on a rookie-scale contract for another two years and then restricted rights, and we're going to see this summer that restricted rights have even more value now than they used to because nobody has any money, that's great. And he is such a huge positive part of that trade for them. And... They're going to have to pay Miles Turner at some point if they want to, but they could maybe they get a little bit more leverage on Turner by saying, "Hey, look, we've got this guy Sabonis, and he doesn't do everything you do, but he does certain things that maybe you don't, and we can work with that." And so I, I'm intrigued to see where this goes. And as we've, we, you and I have seen this over the years with various different guys, a lot of times that first off season when you've been with a team and a system, you can make some real growth because that's the year that you can train and you can develop with the knowledge of what they want you to do. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking really forward to seeing that. And also to watch if Miles Turner could continue to, to grow as well. Uh, this Indiana team could be fun to watch. I mean, they really could. And they could make, not that they make any noise this year, but, you know, they pick up another really good player uh, or a solid player at least. And then they go into next year, um, you know, mucking up the works for guys like, you know, Toronto and Boston maybe. But let's pivot over to the West for a second or back over to the West or to Houston because I kind of want to talk about them. Um, they're 4-3 and three without Harden. Clearly, Harden is, uh, you know, an important part of their plans. Um, here's what I want to throw out there. The three-man lineup for the whole year of Eric Gordon, James Harden, and Chris Paul, when they played together, it was like plus 180, whatever it was, early on. Now it's plus 36.4 net rating. However, in the, in the seven games that Harden's been out, when you have Eric Gordon and Chris Paul play together, it's zero. It's not a, a positive effect when they're out there together. And I'm kind of curious, in your mind's eye, if you can picture that, what is going on? Why do the three work so well together, but not the two? Or is that too <laughs> esoteric? No, it, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I think that a, a big part of it is also that it's not only James Harden that's been out, but they've been missing a couple of, of other players. I think Ariza had some issues. I know Luke Richard and Bob Mute has been out. Yeah. Their center their center rotation has had issues. So the defensive end, I think they've been a little shakier than they usually are. But also because, I mean— Harden and Gordon have so much chemistry, and I mean, when you're when you're talking Harden, Chris Paul, and Eric Gordon, then Eric Gordon is your third best offensive player, and if Eric Gordon is your third best offensive player, you're going to be scoring a bunch of points. Yeah. And so I, I think that's a, a big part of it. And also, while that lineup would run into some trouble in the playoffs, because when you concentrate talent on other teams, you can't just run roughshod. There's there's basically nobody in the lower end of the league that can touch those guys in terms of talent. But when you get into, you know, like Golden State or Cleveland or San Antonio, the teams that Houston is going to need to beat if they want to get to where they want to be, those teams have enough depth on the perimeter that you're not concentrating as much of an advantage. So I think that you can do that. It parallels certain other teams that are are better in that element as a regular season team. So I'm not reading too much into it at this point. I just think that Houston... They're developing these kind of weird samples because they have paid very little with Harden and Paul together and then all these other stuff with dealing with other injuries. We've talked, uh, not you and I, but other people about how San Antonio has really not been full strength at all this year. Houston hasn't spent much time at full strength either. So when I've seen them at closer to what I think is their actualized selves, I think they're going to be fabulous. But we haven't seen much of it, so I want to wait and evaluate it more. And that's something I'm really looking forward to. I don't know, I guess in February, because Harden, hamstring injuries, you always want to be really, really patient. I hope the Rockets are going to be patient with it, but it's going to be important because what he does right now, it doesn't really matter. What he does at 100% in April, May, and June, that really matters. Right, and it sounds like Harden's going to be come back for Thursday's game, which uh, we're taking us on a Wednesday, so tomorrow's game. So, you know, and he's been out, it's been eight games or seven games, and then that's probably, what, maybe like two weeks. So we'll have to see how severe that was and how he comes back. But you're right, you always want to take care of that because that could just keep coming back and bothering you as a hamstring issue. Uh, I did have uh, some lineup, interesting lineup stuff to come if I can get back to that same tab because it's crazy tab time here. Let's see here. Um, okay, so interestingly enough, like so the starters uh, for Houston over the last seven games, when they have Chris Paul and Eric Gordon starting together, uh, and Ryan Anderson, Trevor Ariza, and Clint Capella, yeah, it's, a, it's a literally a .1, positive .1. So they're basically even. They're not getting leads. But the, the one lineup that does really well for them in those, and has played in the seven games in smaller bits during those games is when you put in 
um, Gerald Green, and then P.J. Tucker alongside Chris Paul and Capella and Ariza. And I find it interesting that Anderson goes to the bench um, and Ariza goes to the bench, and they bring in, like, Gerald Green has kind of been a revelation for them. Do you have any uh, insight into, you know, I know Boston w- liked him last year, but why did he go this long before getting signed? Uh, that's it, It's interesting because teams are always so starved for offense, and even if it's shooting from the wings, that doesn't necessarily bring a lot to the table. I mean, his defense has, there have been some rough, rough moments on his defense there, but there are not many good wings out there, and there, there are always just minutes that need to go to them. So it is surprising to me that that has happened. But I'm happy for Gerald Green that when he made the jump back in, whether it was his choice or just the virtue of offers, that he made the, a decision to a team that made so much sense for him because he can there he's going to get open opportunities, he's going to get open shots, and he can make those open shots. So it, I think it, it's a serendipitous thing for both of these teams. But you're right. I'm surprised that it took so long. Uh, yeah, it's weird. And, you know, if you look at this year – uh, I, well, you know, it's funny. I just growing up, he plays, he's played 10 games, 26 and a half minutes per game. He's averaging almost, you know, 15.6 points a game. I mean, that's insane. And he's shooting a little over 40, uh, 41 and a half percent from three. Do you, wait, <laughs> this can't be right. Do you know how many threes he's taking per game? Like eight? Yeah. 8.2 in 26 minutes. That's insane, but that's also what the Rockets wanted. And mm-hmm. I have to imagine if Daryl Morey was out there trying to create a perfect player for him, a really athletic guy who has a very nice jump shot. And he shot average, at least for his career, um, you know, and never been a huge high volume. Actually, the one year he was high volume, he shot 40%. So um, this is another one of those guys. Give him more usage, right? Give him some more minutes in a, in a firm role, and he will actually produce. And I, I think his defense is actually pretty good, especially because he's such a great athlete that he can make up for mistakes. Oh, he gets he gets lost a lot. He there there are elements like I remember back in the game that uh, granted the Warriors are a very hard team to defend against, where he just didn't matter who who he was on. He just all of a sudden that person was gone, and, yeah. and that that can happen. Uh, a team just to, as a brief mention, I'm not necessarily singling them out. It's just the first team I thought of. Like New Orleans could have used Gerald Green this entire year. I mean, they've been looking for perimeter shooting and wing help in the worst way, and they basically toughed it out with you know going through injuries and everything else like they could have used him a lot this year yeah I fear that New Orleans is going to get stuck in that sort of mediocrity and never get you know a, a beyond where they you know where they are now and they're never they're good enough where they're not going to sink into the lottery um I doesn't it feel like they're stuck in a purgatory that they're going to have to do something drastic to get out of they're going to have to really nail their first round pick assuming Boogie stays if DeMarcus stays then this gets different but otherwise it there aren't many avenues for them to get better. And one of the big reasons for that is because they're right at the luxury tax and it doesn't sound like they want to pay the luxury tax. So they would have to use picks probably to unload money and then they would have to use that money properly. And they have so much tied up. They basically, they committed to guys right before the league changed. And also they committed to guys that weren't worth that great. No Marashik and Alexei Ajinsa. Those guys are making 15 million combined. I think it's a little bit more than that this year or next year. And they're right up at the luxury tax. So if they had that money to spend on almost anything else, that would be useful. So they don't, so they won't. 
Yeah. And it's brutal because everybody makes bad decisions and gets bad contracts. The real question for me is like, well, what do you do to get out of those? And I thought like the Lakers are a good example of when they had that terrible Mozgov contract and they were able to package a deal and they get Kyle Kuzma back. That's a great way to get out of that. Uh, and the Pelicans are seem to be a bit paralyzed. And so the question is, is, you know, if they're if they're, you know, they're only a half game in front of the seventh and eighth seeds and the game. Uh, and that means a. Actually, yeah, and a game in front of, you know, being out of the playoffs. So, like, if they're still in this position or maybe a little bit lower than this by as the trade deadline looms, do, do you think that they should just break this thing up and just get some value in return before it gets too late? Probably not because – well, so first of all, you have to have a conversation with DeMarcus Cousins because if, if he gives you an idea of which way he's going, that that is more important than anything else. But – the big structural problem here is that because of the money that they've given to Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis and, you know, Ashik and Ajinsa as well, if they just lost Cousins, if if he left in free agency, they still wouldn't be able to sign free agents. So what that means is that if you lose DeMarcus Cousins and the return isn't good, so that, that could be in a trade too, you're not going to be better. So that's why his opinion really matters. So I wouldn't do that in all likelihood. Unless somebody made an irresponsible offer for Cousins. And the problem of why you don't think that's going to be the case is because, A, you know, he's close to free agency and you can't extend, all that kind of stuff. And, B, look at what they gave up to get him. All they traded was a what ended up being a middle, late lottery pick and Buddy Heald, who has not exactly lit the world on fire either in New Orleans or in Sacramento. Well, it's funny because I wasn't even thinking about Boogie. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. We're not having the Anthony Davis conversation, are we? I, I, I do not, unless somebody makes an irresponsible offer to the nth degree, you do not trade a guy who has MVP caliber talent this early. I guess. All right. I just think it's like this burn it down, man. I mean, I, I, I think the mistake they ended up making was like even like Drew Holiday. And those are the guys like we're going to ride with him and Rondo. Like th- that, those are the things that are just going to keep you in the fourth, fifth, sixth spot for forever. Uh, and that's that's what I think is the biggest issue. Now, Ajinsa and Ashik, you say they have one more year after this? Well, uh, yeah, so Ajinsa is expiring next year. Ashik has $3 million after that year, but so functionally he's expiring. They, they can or somebody else can just stretch that money. They, he might even get stretched this offseason. It's going to depend on what New Orleans wants, what the ownership is willing to stomach, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. I don't know. I, I just feel like, why wait? Let's just burn it down, get it going. Uh, I'm the same way with the Wizards. I feel like they should just break that up, too, because they're in the very same perilous position. Oh, okay, I'll push back on that, because I think that being a playoff team, and in the Wizards' case, very potentially winning a playoff series, probably not two, but maybe, That's there's a value to that. It's not like they're out of the playoffs like if you're choosing between being the 10 seed in the west and the 15 seed yeah take the 15 seed but if you're choosing between the six and something like that i i think that the, that's fine not every team is going to win a championship and not every team in a very few teams in a small market with ownership that doesn't appear willing to spend or really willing to put in what you need to to have a great team those teams aren't going to win titles and new orleans isn't going to win a title without anthony davis Okay. Uh, yeah, I suppose. 
I suppose I can follow that line of reasoning. To me, it's almost like I'm just looking at Windsor specifically thinking this group has been together, you know, for like the three years or so. Now, I granted it's Scott Brooks is only his second year there. So, okay, give them like the rest of this year at least to see what they can do and maybe make some noise in the playoffs. But at some point, and I don't know exactly how many years that ends up being, it's like three, four seasons and it's like it's just not clicking right. It's not you're not getting what you need out of that. It, you know, that, that to me feels like, okay, let's just – you know, get some good value for some of these players and, and, and you know, retool and see if we can't get something better. It's, I, I just don't see the, the value necessarily in it. Unless you can get, as New Orleans did incidentally when they traded Chris Paul, unless you can get so bad that you can get a top two or three pick because it, those are the real difference makers. And so that means you have to clear out everything. And, and for a team like the Wizards, I just, I don't expect that. There are certain teams, like I think that, the those franchises that cling to something that really isn't special, those teams are making a mistake. But outside of that, like so, for example, like I think I thought the Clippers should have torn it all down during the offseason last year. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit different to me, also because they were making fresh decisions. Like the Wizards, they have Bradley Beal, John Wall, Otto Porter on contracts now. Like those guys, they can't really tear it all down. Well, and they also can't trade John Wall for another eight months or so. But, but, but anyway, like I just see that as something functionally different, but if you're, yeah, where the Clippers were though, they can't do it now anymore because nobody, I think wants Blake Griffin on the contract he's on at least for now. So it's a challenge and I understand where you're coming from. I was of that mind for a long time, but then I started and one of the teams that kind of changed this for me was the Toronto Raptors. The Raptors, they've had the best run in franchise history. And I was kind of like, Oh, you know, well, they're, they're not going to win a title. They're not going to do any of this stuff. And that's still probably true, but they're having a great run. This is the best year of their run, and there's value to that. That's true. I will now uh, feel stupid because that is, a, that is a really good point for the Raptors because I was clamoring you know, before last year probably to say, let's move this, get rid of the coach, change the team. But again, uh, I can't give enough kudos to Mizai Ujiri for staying the course, for Dwayne Casey for completely changing the way they play offense. It's like uh, unheard of the way they've changed it. And even though they were already elite in the years past, the way they're doing it is just uh, remarkable. So uh, almost as remarkable as the show we just had just now. This is great stuff, Danny. Yeah, I, I had fun, and now I'm starting to think about whether the Jazz should trade Rudy Gobert so I can give those fans a reason to freak out. Uh, I, you know what? Oh, they've left me. I've lost all my Jazz fans, and I feel bad about it. One day I'll get them back. Um, we didn't even talk about uh, fighting in locker rooms. This is a great show. We don't need to talk about that. I actually, I'll, I might end up having some of that on Real Jam Radio, so you can fans, <laughs> fans who want to hear me talk about that can listen to it there. Great, I, and I might have a little scoop myself coming up this week on uh, tomorrow, so we'll see how that goes. So, Danny... Awesome stuff. Thank you for joining us today and uh, really appreciate it. Can't wait to talk to you again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Danny? Absolutely.